It is good to see you again, fellow humans, and welcome back to ASM Murder, the only true crime podcast with an ASMR twist. I, of course, am your host, The Guru, and today's episode is number 10, and we'll be discussing a case that you might be familiar with, the murder of a little girl, one who was a beauty queen. Her body was found in her own home hours after it was reported missing. I'm talking about John Bonet Ramsey. Her case was widespread and known in North America and the rest of the world back when it happened. It's even still discussed and being investigated to this day. In search of answers and other possible clues, I was two years out of high school when I heard about the murder of John Bonet. Me and millions of other Americans were immediately swept up in all the news and hype. Where was she? Then they found her, dead. We wept for John Bonet as we asked her questions. What happened to her? Why was she murdered? And maybe more importantly, who did it? Content warning. Today's episode contains graphic content not suitable for some audiences, which include mentions about the death of a child, mentions about physical and sexual abuse, Descriptions of a crime scene and the state of a dead body. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Let's go back to December, in the same year that Steve Jobs' company was bought by Apple Computer mere days before this crime happened. It was winter and Christmas had just passed when Jean Bonnet was murdered in her own home. Jean Bonnet Patricia Ramsey was just six years old when she was killed on December 26, 1996. She was a kid who regularly assisted many child beauty pageants in Boulder, Colorado, and won multiple beauty-related titles thanks to those contests. Her mom, Patricia Patsy Ramsey, was the one to bring John Bonet to multiple pageants, information revealed to the public after the child's death. Her dad's name was John Bennett Ramsey, and she had also had another brother named Burke. Now why would someone want to kill a little girl like her? She was sweet and loved by all. Nobody had anything against her. However, her dad was a successful businessman. He was the president of Access Graphics, a computer software company. He had a lot of money. Before John Bonet was reported missing, her mother found a handwritten ransom note on the kitchen staircase of their home. The note demanded 118,000 US dollars which was almost the same amount of money that John had gotten as a Christmas bonus on his job the prior year. This suggested that the culprit could have been someone who knew about the bonus, someone who worked at Access Graphics and had access to the data. There was also the possibility of the note being a reference to Psalm 118 from the Bible, and he spoke with different religious resources to know if it could have been an actual possibility. There seemed to be film influences in the Ransom Note, and the films Ransom, Dirty Harry, and Speed tend to be accepted as the possible sources of inspiration. It was an unusually long piece of writing, and the FBI said that it would be weird if the note had been written at the crime scene. They said it could have been staged, as it didn't have fingerprints of people that weren't Patsy, or different authorities included multiple exclamation marks. A report made by the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, also called the CBI, mentioned that the author of the note was Patsy herself. But there wasn't much to back up this theory, and this evidence didn't have a clear conclusion. 
A very skilled forensic pathologist, after consulting both sides of the case, said that he had never seen a note like that, and he thought that the culprit had been a stranger and not a family member, after a federal court asked for the help of six different certified handwriting experts. It was declared that the chances of Patsy being the author of the note were slim. Many uncertified people tried to place blame on her, accusing the woman without any evidence backing up their claims. The only people in the house at the time of John Bonet's murder was her close family. Even when the note said they shouldn't contact any friend or authority, Patsy called the police at 5.52 a.m. Mountain Time, plus contacted some friends and other family members. Two police officers arrived at the Ramsey household at 5.55 a.m. Mountain Time and didn't find any clues that hinted at forced entry in the quick search they did of the home. Officer Rick French went to the basement and found the door secured by a wooden latch and didn't think it would be necessary to investigate it, so he simply walked away without even opening it. The body was behind the door and he didn't investigate, but we'll go into more detail later. John started to make arrangements to pay the ransom while his daughter was still missing, and the forensics team was dispatched to Ramsey's household. They cordoned off John Bonet's room, but they made the mistake of not taking any precaution regarding contamination of the rest of the building. Soon, visitors showed up to support the family, freely grabbing things and cleaning parts of the house without realizing that they had possibly destroyed valuable evidence. There was never any attempt by anybody to claim the money of the ransom. At 1 p.m. Mountain Time, a detective asked John Ramsey and Fleet White, a family friend, to look around the house and see if they could find anything out of place. They began searching around the basement, opening the latched door that Officer French had overlooked, and there, John found the body of his child. John Bonet had her torso covered by a white blanket, her mouth covered with duct tape and nylon cord could be seen wrapping around her neck and wrists. Her dad picked up her body, and the crime scene was further contaminated by the displacement of John Bonet's body, disturbing irrelevant evidence for the crime. Each family member provided blood, hair, and handwriting samples. The girl's parents participated in interviews that lasted more than two hours, and Burke was also interviewed, yet this led nowhere. The autopsy showed that the girl was killed by asphyxia and had a skull fracture with her official cause of death being asphyxia by strangulation associated with craniocerebral trauma. Sexual assault couldn't be ruled out. There was evidence of vaginal injury, although there was no semen. The pathologist who did the autopsy said that her vaginal area had been wiped with a cloth and ruled John Bonet's death as a homicide. There were also traces of pineapple in the girl's stomach, eaten only a few hours before the crime happened. Photographs of the home taken on the day when John Bonet's body was found show a bowl of pineapple in the kitchen with a spoon in it, but neither Patsy nor John remember feeding pineapple to their child. Police found Burke's fingerprints on the bowl, yet Ramsey said that he was sleeping before waking up several hours after authorities arrived at the house. A garrote that was made from nylon cord and the broken handle of a paintbrush was tied around John Bonet's neck and had apparently been used to strangle her. Parts of the bristle end of the paintbrush were found in a tub containing Patsy's art supplies, but the bottom third of it was never found despite detailed searching of the house by authorities the following days. In December of 2003, forensic investigators managed to find just enough genetic material from a blood-mixed sample found on the child's underwear to establish a DNA profile, which belonged to an unknown male person who wasn't part of the JonBenet family. The genetic material is now in the FBI's Combined DNA Index System, also known as CODIS.
a database which holds information of over 1.6 million DNA profiles, but nothing was found regarding the owner of the unknown genetic material. More recently, in October 2016, a report revealed that studies with newer technologies showed that the original DNA had traces of two people apart from John Bonet herself. A lead investigation for the DA's office found traces of male DNA on the cord and paintbrush that Mary Lacey, a Boulder District Attorney, didn't mention. There also were six different DNA samples with unknown owners. As the genetic material showed up identically in various places and surfaces, an FBI profiler thinks that it belonged to the culprit. Multiple people think that this is an important clue, but without having an explanation as to how the DNA ended up on the girl's body and items, there wasn't much to do. Potential suspects were identified, and police focused mostly on John and Patsy, but by October 1997, over 1,600 people were of interest regarding the case. The big list of mistakes made in the initial investigation made everything harder, and if the investigation had had more experienced staff, this case might have been solved decades ago. But there were also delayed interviews with their parents and evidence shared with them, plus the loss and contamination of evidence. A detective, Lou Smith, even came out of retirement in 1997 to help the Boulder County District Attorney's Office with the case. In May 1998, his findings concluded that the culprit wasn't anyone from the Ramsey family, but he couldn't change the police department's belief about the role of the Ramseys in the crime. It was strongly believed that they had been guilty in some way, and soon the DA's office wanted to take control of the investigation. Colorado Governor Roy Romer interceded and named Michael Kane as special prosecutor to initiate a grand jury. There were opposing views between two of the lead investigators. Both Lou Smith and Steve Thomas ultimately resigned, Smith because he believed the investigation hadn't investigated the intruder hypothesis enough, and Thomas because the DA's office had interfered with and failed to support the police investigation of the case. A grand jury was convened beginning September 15, 1998, to consider accusing the Ramseys for charges relating to the case. The following year, the grand jury returned a bill to charge the family with placing the child at extreme risk and with obstructing justice with a murder investigation, but they weren't prosecuted. Mary Lacey, the next Boulder County District Attorney, took over the investigation from the police on December 26, 2002. In April 2003, she agreed with a federal judge who sat on a 2002 libel case that evidence in the suit showed that it was more likely for a family member to have committed the crime than a stranger. On July 9, 2008, the Boulder District Attorney's Office announced that, as a result of newly developed DNA sampling and testing techniques, the Ramsey family members were excluded as suspects in the case. Lacey publicly exonerated the Ramseys. On February 2, 2009, Boulder Police Chief Mark Beckner announced that Stan Garnett, the new Boulder County District Attorney, was turning the case over to his agency and that his team would start investigating it again. Garnett found that the statute of limitations for the crimes identified in the 1999 Grand Jury True Bill had expired and did not pursue review of the case against the Ramseys. In October 2010, the Boulder Police reopened the cold case. New interviews were made and police used new technologies to investigate the DNA, but not much was gathered from this. 
In 2015, Beckner disagreed with exonerating the Ramseys, saying that it would be absurd to do so without actually proven evidence. He also stated that the unknown genetic material on John Bunny's clothes had to be a focus in the investigation, and that there was no confirmed owner of that DNA. It was reported in September 2016 that the investigation into John Bonet's death continues to be an active homicide case. There were two kinds of theories about John Bonet's death, about who committed the crime. The first one we'll talk about is known as the family member theory. Police focus mostly on her parents, as it's usual that caregivers are involved in the murder of a child. There was no forced entry in the crime scene, but there had been some staging, such as a ransom note. Plus, the Ramseys hadn't been very cooperative to help solve the crime, although the family had said that it had been because they were afraid of being the only focus of the investigation. One theory is that Patsy struck Jean Bonnet in a fit of rage after the girl wet her bed and strangled her to cover up what had happened after mistakenly thinking she was already dead. But Patsy wasn't someone that had rage outbursts, said by her own son. Burke was interviewed at least three times, and the first two interviews seemed normal. In 1998, it was said that he wasn't involved in the murder of his sister, but it was reiterated in 1999, even when he had never been considered a suspect. A Colorado grand jury voted in 1999 to indict the parents. The indictment cited two counts of child abuse, and said the parents allowed the girl to be in a situation that ended in her death. Among the experts who testified in the case were DNA specialist Barry Sheck and forensic expert Henry Lee. On October 13, 1999, Alex Hunter, who was the district attorney at the time, refused to indict because there wasn't enough evidence for prosecution. The public thought that the grand jury investigation had been inconclusive. In 2002, the statute of limitations on the grand jury's charges expired. The grand jury's vote to indict was not revealed publicly until October 25, 2013, when previously sealed court documents were released. A show broadcast on CBS in 2016 called a group of experts to analyze the case, and a theory was born from this. Burke could have hit his sister in the head with a heavy thing after she stole a piece of pineapple from him. Defamation lawsuits against CBS and several participants of the program were filed because of many of its claims after it aired. The second theory is the intruder theory. The police and the prosecutors followed leads for intruders partly due to the unidentified boot mark left in the basement room where John Bonet's body was found, even though most authorities put their focus on the girl's parents. Early persons of interest included neighbor Bill McReynolds, Chris Wolf, a local reporter whose then-girlfriend reported him as a suspect, family housekeeper Linda Hoffman Pugh, and a man named Michael Helgeth, who died in an apparent suicide shortly after John Bonet's death. Hundreds of DNA tests were performed to find a match to the DNA recovered during her autopsy. Lou Smith, a detective on the case, assessed the evidence and concluded that an intruder had committed the crime. On the night John Bonet was killed, there had been two windows that were left slightly open to allow for electrical cords for the outside Christmas lights to pass through, a broken basement window, and one unlocked door. Smith's theory was that someone entered the Ramsey home through the broken basement window, but this theory had been questioned because there were many untouched cobwebs and foliage around the basement and the window. Smith believed that the intruder subdued John Bonet with a stun gun and took her down to the basement where she was killed and a ransom note was left. Smith's theory was supported by former FBI agent John E. Douglas, who had been hired by the Ramsey family. 
Believing that the Ramseys were innocent, Smith resigned from the investigation on September 20, 1998, five days after the grand jury was convened against the Ramseys, although he continued to investigate the case on his own until his death in 2010. It was determined that there had been more than a hundred burglaries in the Ramsey's neighborhood in the months before John Bonet's murder. There were 38 registered sex offenders living within a two-mile radius of the Ramsey's home. In 2001, former Boulder County prosecutor Tripp DeMuth and Boulder County Sheriff Detective Steve Ainsworth said that there should be a more aggressive investigation of the intruder theory that it hadn't gotten enough focus over the years, even though there had been a lot of people who could have committed the crime. Some years later, on August 15, 2006, someone came forward and confessed to being the culprit of the crime. Alexis Valoran Reich, then known as John Mark Carr, was arrested in Bangkok, Thailand. He claimed that he had drugged, sexually assaulted, and accidentally killed the little girl, but there was no evidence linking Reich to the crime scene. Plus, he only said things everyone knew in his confession, not adding any details not known by the general public. The claim that John Bonet had been drugged was another detail that made authorities doubt the truth behind this man's confession, as the autopsy didn't show any traces of drugs of any kind in the child's body. Reich's DNA didn't match any evidence. One of the individuals identified as a suspect was Gary Howard Olivia, who was arrested for two counts of attempted sexual exploitation of a child and one count of sexual exploitation of a child in June 2016, according to Boulder's Daily Camera. This led nowhere, though. On May 2nd of the same year, John Bonet's dad asked the governor to intervene and let another agency take the case because the Boulder Police Department hasn't shown any sign of progress with the investigation. The petition is being reviewed and it might mean that the case might have some advances soon. This little girl is resting in St. James Episcopal Cemetery in Marietta, Georgia. Her mother died in 2006 and her body was buried by her daughter's side. And that is it, fellow humans. We have come to the end of yet another episode. I truly appreciate you spending your time with me each week as we discuss cases and unpack all the grisly details. I also want to apologize for the lateness of this episode. Sometimes work and life gets in the way. As usual, I just want to say that it was a privilege and a pleasure to spend my time with you today, and that was episode 10 of ASM Murder. If you want to catch up on any episodes you missed, or if you want to hear more of me in general, you can go to my website at murderpod.net. That's M-U-R-D-E-R-P-O-D.net. You can also find my podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed what you hear, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'll leave the links in the description. Until next time, please be kind to yourselves and be good to each other. Take care. <laughs>